Hello, and welcome to Real Talk About Real Identity from Axiom. This podcast is devoted to important identity trends and the convergence of ad tech and martech. I'm Kyle Holloway, your podcast host, and I'm joined by our co-host, Dustin Rainey. Welcome, all our listeners, to episode 25 of Real Talk About Real Identity. Wow, how time flies. Uh, We launched Real Talk towards the beginning of the global pandemic, and here we are already at number 25. Um, and for those of you who have listened in, in over the past 18 months and have heard us refer to all the changes happening in MarTech and AdTech um, as nothing short of MadTech reformation, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, the cookie apocalypse. Um, you've even heard Kyle describe it as an epic galactic battle between the Rebel Alliance, aka the open internet, and the empire, otherwise known as Big Tech or the Walled Gardens. Kyle, I were to sum it all up in one word, I would choose the word disruption. Advertisers and publishers are having to rethink the way they engage customers. The technology and and strategies they've used over the past decade to monetize content, retain existing customers, acquire new customers, and measure performance is being disrupted. Yeah, and they were just getting used to the market disruptions of the, you know, 2010s, which brought up upon by the mass adoption of like social media and device-based marketing, you know, where onboarders were leveraging third-party cookie-based tech and managed cookie syncs between publisher, advertiser sites, and ad tech platforms. But now we're facing an even greater market disruption. Brands are now forced to adapt to new and ever-changing customer privacy regulations, You've got third-party ID deprecation or obfuscation, and then the need to take command and control of relationships by focusing on first-party data. So this is brought upon the latest evolution of identity tech, which we view as brand-owned private identity graphs. But how will a brand's first-party data help them when cookies go away? I already know these people. How will I find new customers? And with third-party cookies, I could target with some level of precision, practically every device. So let's get down to the brass tacks. You know, how will advertising work beyond 2021? And so with our 25th episode, we're taking the gloves off and we're very excited to do it with a very special guest, Eugene Becker, Executive Vice President and General Manager of Global Data and Identity here at Axiom. So Eugene, welcome. And why don't you start by giving uh, our listeners a snapshot of your background that led you to the role you have today at Axiom. Kyle and Dustin, thank you for uh, the introduction. I'm very excited to join uh, the podcast. I ended up here sort of through an odd path. I'm an analytics guy by trade, and I've done analytics for probably still the, the, the vast majority of my career. As the world underwent the first disruption that you were that you were talking about, the shift to programmatic, it became apparent to me that the things that mattered to marketers were audiences and uh, systems to manage those audiences. So I ended up an expert in that ecosystem, and I made that transition from analytics. And as the world now is migrating away from programmatic and to other ways of doing audience targeting sort of following market need, I've ended up in the people-based data and identity space. And obviously the identity sector is very hot. So somehow, some way I sort of ended up uh, following action and, uh, and here I am. Awesome. Well, glad to have you here. Thank you. So over the last two years, you know, we've seen a huge shift that we've already talked about kind of in ad tech in general. So in your view, you know, where's identity going? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. And identity is a space right now where there is a lot of competing technologies and competing visions for the future. One of those visions is a vision of basically walled gardens that are closed off where brands simply and, and very obediently use the offerings offered by very large companies who some argue are monopolists like Google and Amazon and Facebook and just sort of whatever the gruel exists in those walled gardens, everybody has to consume that. And I think that that's one vision for the future. On the outside of that, I think there was a lot of competing technologies, right? I think, I think there was efforts to sustain targeting the way it operates today. Uh, certainly cookies are still around. There was a lot of innovation happening around statistical ADs. But really, my view at least is that the walled gardens will prevail and that a lot of those digital identifiers will go away in some fashion, or at least the signal available via those digital identifiers will become uh, attenuated and uh, brands will need to look for alternatives. And the alternative in my mind is PII or PII-based IDs. The, the reason for that is sort of very simple and very blunt and almost very obvious. If a brand has a relationship with a customer or a prospect where somebody has shared that PIA with a brand for a reason that they like. And if a publisher has the same relationship, th the two parties own the data and they're free to exchange it. And uh, Google and Apple and Facebook can't do anything about that. And uh, I think that in the absence of that, uh, I believe that Wall Gardens and other ecosystem players will disrupt data exchange. But when brands and publishers own their data, that exchange will continue. And my view is that there's a lot of advantages to shifting that model. And we can get into that later in, uh, you know, in this conversation. But certainly, it's it's easier to change the data directly. I think you get better matching. You can get more exact connections, and that can provide a lot of uh, benefits across the ecosystem. Eugene, thanks for that well thought out response. <laughs> you mentioned that you're coming from a, an analytic background, right? And I think you said the wall garden is going to prevail. Analytics is going to be a problem, right? You know, because it seems like the, you know, the walled gardens raising their walls even higher. How do you see brands kind of getting around that, understanding the full customer journey when they're having to deal with all these different walled gardens, even as new emerging technologies arise? Yeah, well, look, I think the walled gardens will prevail in their mission. And I think the brands will also prevail in their mission and publishers of there being very viable alternatives to the wall gardens, right? But I think like in the wall gardens, I think you're dealing with whatever the wall garden gives you from an analytics perspective. Most wall gardens, uh, if not all of them, have a clean room capability where a brand can, you know, analyze data that the wall garden provisions for them. So Google's Ads Data Hub is a great example. And obviously I think there is expectation that the brand receives raw and unfiltered data and it's kept very secure and privacy friendly. And I think that's a concept. And I think as long as that's the case, you know, everything is good, except you're only, you know, you can only kind of analyze the data within a single environment, right? So you can't really do customer journey analytics. The big issue with that is, you know, there are documented instances of these large players not playing fair, like, like Facebook's video metrics or advertising metrics in general, they were inflated and they've had to restate them and, you know, that's the case. If you look at some of the allegations in uh, Google antitrust, there is all sorts of stuff, you know, Google and Facebook collaborating to increase match rates while Google is trying to deprecate online identifiers. So the question is really like, to what extent, extent can brands uh, trust analytics that, that emerge in those environments? I mean, it, it's a very tough question. 
and I think that Google and Facebook and and you know Amazon is you know gaining gaining fast. These organizations have done a great deal to build the advertising ecosystem right and into what it is today. And they are you know the top institutions. You know, there's great talent there, and and they do deserve a lot of trust. But there are instances where the trust has been violated. So so fundamentally, as an analytics guy, it makes me paranoid about what what sort of analytics you can do in those environments at all. So you talked about alternatives and talked about going to more PII-based IDs. Talk us through some of those. What are you seeing emerging in the market and what do you believe are, are going to be some of the primary alternatives out there? Well, look, I think there's two schools of thought on this, right? And and one school of thought is like, let's make a statistical AD um, you know, a simpler way of putting it as a device fingerprint. And let's let's find a way of propagating that that kind of matching methodology across the ecosystem. And let's create statistical linkages, right? Uh, across basically devices. And that methodology is receiving very broad support across the ecosystem, except that support is coming from smaller players. And if you look at the leaders like LiveRamp, Trade Desk, and Magnite, the top data companies, DSPs, and SSPs, none of them support that. And they don't believe it's privacy-friendly, and frankly, neither do I, right? I say device fingerprint because it's it's the same methodology um, or a similar version of the methodology that, that's been around for over a decade. And it, it does not, you know, in my view, uh, I don't think it provides the consumers with a control the same control as would PII, which is really the, the alternative or really a, a PII-based token. So, you know, w- what I see as the future are IDs that are similar to ATS, similar to UAD 2.0, and there may be others coming into play. And I believe that these IDs are one option to propagate identity across the existing ecosystem. Now, the, the really fun question that is also on the table is whether the connections, the way they've been architected today, need to remain so. So, for example, based on uh, if a brand has PII and a publisher like Spotify has PII, right, simply matching the data directly via a company like Axiom or via a clean room that provides an alternative. And that, that alternative has not been widely used. Obviously, it's not, uh, you know, direct publisher connections have been around for a long time, but the bulk of the spend does not right, run through this vehicle. Uh, if cookies go away, to what extent does that model become something very different, right? You know, also sharing data with SSPs. Magnet has a clean room and they're exploring, you know, matching based on uh, emails and certainly the capability can expand from there. So it's not just about kind of shift of IDs that are used, but it's also the way they're used. You know, my view is that brands will increasingly make different types of connections across the ecosystem, you know, moving directly to connecting data to DSPs and as well as on the sell side, SSPs and, and publishers. So I think I think that could be a, a pretty significant reorientation of how ad tech works. And apologies for the long response here, but I think like along with how data flows, dollars can mirror that, right? Meaning if for some reason, right, the brand decide the brand decides to propagate its its data using an SSP, well, is that brand more likely to pursue a private marketplace? So that's the concept. Uh, I think it's identity and the balance of their relationships and ecosystem as well. Eugene, one of the the big concerns, I guess, around this shift from cookies, third-party cookies to like PII, for instance, is scale, right? It's like how how do I if even if I don't have 
I might not have a lot of PII or I might not have a lot of customers. So how do I get reach in this new methodology? What are some, some things that, that you're seeing kind of, you know, happen to mitigate that, that part of the, the puzzle? I think that's an issue that is apparent to uh, all those who've tried to test either UAD 2.0 or ATS, uh, you know, ATS in absence of any cookie linkages, right? But if you sort of look at it, UAD, let's just take UAD 2.0 as an example, it generates a different token based on an email. If a brand has an email, Eugene Becker at gmail.com, that's going to be one token. If, that, if a publisher has a, my email that I use for a lot of my you know, online reading, um, Eugene Becker at Yahoo, these two things don't match, right? And that, right. that that's the problem. Yeah. So, you know, this is this is an area where Axiom can help. And we've built a solution called Match Multiplier that basically addresses that. So if a brand is using Match Multiplier and they have Eugene Becker at Gmail, and that is the email address that I've given to them because I want to communicate with my bank, let's say, using my Gmail address. That's like my most widely used personal email address, right? We will certainly use that data for matching to publisher, but we will add to that every other identifier that's associated not only with me, but with my household. So we'll add Eugene Becker at Yahoo. We'll add my phone. Phones are you know, used on occasion not as widely as, as, as email. And we'll also add, you know, all the data associated with my wife, right? So we'll add her emails and other instances of her PII to that kind of like data payload that's used for matching to the publisher. And based on that, you can now start to drive up match rates. So it, it's not clear to, to anyone whether that's going to solve the match rate issue as brands migrate from cookies to technologies like QD 2.0, but it will certainly do a great deal to help. And uh, our testing has had um, has demonstrated really remarkable results. But the one thing I'll say is that while the match rate issue, meaning like, well, the scale issue may or may not get fully addressed, what you are addressing is the flow of data on the way back, meaning like you have a 100% deterministic pipe of data coming back from measurement, right? right. Um, and and you, you know with full confidence individual or the household that you were addressing either did or did not get, get an ad served. And that makes a huge difference for analytics folks and doing attribution based on existing matchback methods has been very problematic and has been a point of complaint in the ecosystem for a long time. And we're, I'd say, more than hopeful that these new matching methods will go a long way to address that pain point. So one of the challenges that you hear a lot as we shift kind of back to more of a PI-based ecosystem is privacy and the sharing of data. You spoke briefly about like clean rooms. There's, you know, emerging concepts around like zero trust or using things like UID2. How do you think that's going to map out and, and you know, what's kind of Axiom strategy in that space? Yeah, that, that's a really that's a really broad topic. I'll provide a narrow answer. You know, just focusing on dynamics within the privacy ecosystem. And if you guys want me to talk about privacy, you know, looking at a broader view, we can do that. But within a market ecosystem, you know, first off, within our business today, we run something like ten thousand jobs on a daily basis, and those jobs are either to deliver data or identity services to our clients. All of these jobs entail matching PII. So we've been doing this, perhaps not at the scale, but, but Axiom has been at this for 50 years. And we have done this in a privacy-friendly fashion and in a secure fashion. And 
we have not had many issues. So first of all, just the fundamentals of PI exchange, if it's managed well, you know, it works. And, and I think that's a fact that I think the ecosystem needs to appreciate. And I know that for a lot of folks, you know, especially in the publisher side of the ecosystem, it's like, man, my, the list of my users is like gold and people are going to, to length to, to protect that. I, I think that's great. We process credit bureau data, meaning like PII and all of an individual's credit events, credit scores. We, we, we do that for dozens of financial institutions. You know, again, like the, that data is orders of magnitude more important to consumer privacy and security than anything, um, you know, a TV company or a brand publisher could have. And again, like we, we've done that well. With that said, I think that new methods like clean rooms and UAD 2.0 go a long way to basically protecting PII as it's being traded. And we basically all of these technologies rely on some combination or use all of the following. One, the PII is hashed. Uh, number two, the PII is salted, meaning there is a little bit of noise introduced into the data. And three, the PII is encrypted. So somebody would have to go to extraordinary length to try to crack the code on this. And uh, I'm not sure whether the code is indeed crackable, but this is, you know, not a job for the lighthearted. And, and frankly, the, the commercial value entailed in the data versus the effort required to, um, you know, to crack the code, these two things don't line up, right? You know, the areas where, kind of having a broader view, like the areas where I think bad actors actually go after information is really not in the privacy realm because like, like what is the value at the end of the day to some bad actor of a, a list of a brand's clients, customers, or of a publisher's users, it, it's limited, right? What, what the brand, what the bad actors want is people's social security numbers and credit cards so they can steal money from them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that is not the data that's entailed in data exchange within marketing use cases. So m- my view is that UAD 2.0 and cleaner technologies, they sort of have gone like above and beyond the call of duty in protecting both security and privacy. And uh, I think that everybody should feel pretty good about these technologies. A- again, PII has been exchanged and traded for decades in a marketing ecosystem. And the issues that, that arise tend to be in other realms, like uh, you know, some of the financial data that uh, hackers will go after. Eugene, to me, it seems like third-party cookies were kind of the easy button uh, for advertisers to use to, to reach customers they've they've grown to that's all they've used for the past decade or so so like clean room sometimes to me maybe you can correct me if i'm wrong it's like it's almost gotten conflated a little bit with an easy way uh it's like how do i how do i easily exchange pii and not have to think about it and still reach my customers through direct connections is that a use case that you got you, you see kind of becoming prevalent um, in the future of a clean room is just a place where you know two companies can come together and just share data easily. Um, I just I, I hit hit a button and go. Yeah, because I, I feel like that that easy button is what people what people are looking for, right? It's like, how am I going to get my P, you know PII to you know hundreds and thousands of aver- or publishers at once? And it, it just seems like that's kind of what the market's asking for right now. Yeah, the market is asking for that. You know, I think the one thing cookies and clean rooms. Uh, have in common is that these are technologies invented by technologists. These things were invented because an engineer or an architect kind of can easily do, but it doesn't mean that these things were invented around business use cases. Cookies 
is a way for basically, you know, a publisher to just make sure that they serve a consistent version to a website to the same user if they, you know, click away and come back, right? And uh, people hack the technology to be, you know, like a marketing identifier, and it just does not meet the requirements of a marketing ID. We can talk about that offside, but like, it's just like, isn't the marketing ID. And if you look at, at kind of like a decade of people complaining about all the problems caused by cookies, okay, let's set that aside. Clean rooms, I, I think, have like a it's sort of like there's a similar kind of rationale in terms of their birth. It's, it's kind of like, hey, I'm a public cloud. I have a lot of data. I can easily exchange the data within my public cloud. Isn't that great? Why, don't, why doesn't everybody use that, especially because it generates transactions for my cloud business, right? right. And, and, and I think that's sort of like the way in which technologies evolve. Somebody has an idea, and it is a great idea, and Snowflake has made life a lot easier for a lot of folks, and I'm a big fan of Snowflake. And, and look, all of us live in the cloud. They're great technologies, but here's the issue. You know, if a brand and all of its publishers that's trying to use are in Snowflake, everything works great. If somebody's in AWS, clean room, well, these two things don't talk to each other very well, at least for now. And AWS is uh, going to have a clean room. My bet is that GCP will do something similar because other companies are doing it. Infosum, Habu, other startups are going to have clean, they have clean rooms. You know, I think Infosum started this whole trend. So how do all these things talk to each other? Clean rooms, the way they're defined today, right? Sort of like in the, uh, in a, ad tech marketplace or in the tech marketplace in general. I think they're very interesting technology and I think you'll find its uses. But it, it is definitely not like easy button answer to all of ad tech woes. I think UAD 2.0 is a true currency and it scales. It will scale across the ecosystem. The question is, what, what are the match rates, right? So, so I'm not sure there really is like an easy response. And my, my view is that brands that are proactive and are really looking to, you know, maybe get, get a step, have a step ahead of the market, They'll be very active in, you know, operating all the different methods that exist out there for for different use cases. Great. Hey, um, spend a lot of time. I do want to pivot just for a minute. Uh, you are the GM of data and identity. We've talked a lot about just identity, but there's a whole other piece there with the third-party data marketplace. How do you think that's going to be impacted by these changes in identity? Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Kyle, thank you for that question. Because like, look, at the end of the day, identity is really about moving data around and that it's the data that has the value, right? Like you need to have signal that you're trying to, you know, add to your marketing communications and that's the data piece. So I think, I think the biggest area of impact here is the fact that over the past 10 years, there is a, a whole slew of companies that started out basically around tracking online behaviors, right? And they're great businesses and all of that data is under pressure, whether the data originates in a made ecosystem uh, on the um, mobile side or in a browser-based ecosystem, you know, to the extent that uh, cookies and other identifiers are going away, it's going to be harder and harder to compile that data set and that data is under pressure. In, in fact, that's an area where, where I've spent time and if you look at like, I guess, 2010 to 2015, there were lots of startups in that area. And it was like an area of like, you know, lots of entrepreneurs. Now you do not see any more startups who are doing that. And all the startups that have existed are looking to exit. And they're not necessarily, he's not consistently having a great deal of, of luck with those exits. Yeah. It's, it's a challenging space, right? So, so as that goes away, brands are very much sold on audience targeting. Like, I don't believe that just because there is like less data in the digital ecosystem that all of a sudden brands are going to like start, you know, are going to go back to like 
buying mass media. I, I don't think we're ever going to going back to that. So the the most obvious replacement to that is transaction data, right? And there is great transaction data, uh, in automotive space, in a credit card space, in a banking space, in a CPG space, in the health space. And we already have our hands as Axiom on some of that data, and we're about to complete a number of deals. I think that that's the data that we will offer for our clients to some extent as a replacement for all the data that's going to disappear online in the years to come, right? I mean, I think that transactional data has a great deal of value just in and of itself. And I don't believe that that brands are really taking full advantage of the data that's existed. And, and I think there is a pretty long roadmap there. But I do think that, you know, the either it's deceleration or disappearance of online data will really accelerate the shift to transactions. Yeah, thanks, Eugene. Well, unfortunately, uh, our time is is quickly coming to an end. It's crazy how fast 30 minutes can go um, when you're having fun talking about identity, right? And data. <laughs> uh, so standard wrap question. It's the year 2035. What does consumer engagement look like? And do you see a scarier Orwellian type future or do you see brighter days ahead? Well, look, so, so let me answer your question as follows. I mean, I think within the marketing ecosystem, my view is that consumers are going to have a lot more visibility and control over their data. And I think there's a lot of efforts in that area. So uh, I think there will be a lot more tracking. Like the, everything is becoming more digital and digital things are by definition tracked because that's that's how digital stuff works. So uh, by definition of computers, right? Um, so, so, so I, and I think that from that perspective, my expectation is by 2035, some of the kind of noise in the marketing ecosystem will start to die down. But really, um, I'm very concerned about the stuff that's happening more in the security space. I read a piece in the New York Times just the other day, and it's like like something like 70 or 75% of all the crimes in New York City, and they're persecuted. They're using evidence from cameras or various other sort of like like digital tracking technologies. Now, you know, the, the stakes are very different. It's like life and liberty versus like what ad do you see? So you have to kind of separate the two different uh, types of data realms and treat them very differently. And I also think that, you know, the folks who are in charge are very different types. You know, in the marketing side, you have a bunch of MBAs who are trying to add a percentage points of lift to a campaign. And if you get a slightly different headline, like, so be it, you know. All right. Well, thank you also to our listeners. I uh, appreciate you guys uh, sitting through uh, another podcast episode here and eugene thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and, and talk with us i was super insightful and um love uh, love hearing from you every time so i'm sure we will have you back on in the future and uh for those that would like to hear other episodes uh you can visit our website at www.axiom.com backslash real talk and also want to thank our producer, Scarlett Burks, and our technician, Paul Byhouse, for another episode. Everyone have a great day. Thank you.